Father, as we continue into the service this morning and we open the Word of God together to hear from you, Father, we ask you that you would help us to uh, have hearts to receive it or give me a clarity of mind to deliver the message that you want for this hour to this group of people. And uh, Lord, I pray, Father, that you would meet the needs of our church through your Word this morning as we are promised that you will do that. And Lord, I pray, Father, that you be with those that are heavy-hearted this morning. Father, you'd be an encouragement to them right now as they're just sitting in this room and hearing the worship lifted up to you, hearing your word read over them. Father, they would be encouraged where they sit. And then those of us that are hungry this morning, that Father, you would give us something that we can feast on from your word today. And we'll praise you for your mercy and your grace that are evident to us each and every day. In the precious name of Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. How many of you, you have a streaming subscription to something? Netflix, you know what I'm talking about? A Google, uh, not Google, I guess uh, Amazon. How many of you got Disney? You don't have to raise your hand on all these, but you know. You know, I, I remember when this all thing came out, right? And uh, a few years ago, this is better than cable. It's cheaper than cable. You get these streaming subscriptions and you can get rid of cable. And the and, and only reason I ever got cable anyway is to watch football. And uh, so I, you know, we, we, I'm like, let's, let's try this, you know, and it's like 14 bucks a month, you know, that's not bad at all. And then all of a sudden there was another one and one of my kids had come up to me and said, dad, I want to watch such and such a show, but it's not on this system, it's on this other channel. So you need to get this one. And, I'm, and I finally I'm sitting down, I'm like, we got four of these. How did that happen? I have been baited into this whole thing. I'm like, all right, we're picking one and getting rid of the other ones. Oh, but Dad, we don't. If that show doesn't, this one, this doesn't have that show on it. And then I, I got all these streaming systems. And then you know, I, we have one for music. We found the other day. My son has Spotify. My wife has Pandora, and I have Amazon Music. And I'm like, why do we have all these streaming services? And then I'm getting commercials on streaming services. I'm like, I'm paying you not to have commercials. Oh well, if you want not to have commercials, you had to have Premier Access. And you talk about falling for something hook, line, and sinker. And, you know, and now there's, uh, you know, the, the, the premier access. And then not only is there premier access, but then if you have premier access, then you have to have the super premier access and you can watch this show. And, well, Dad, I want to watch that movie, but we have to pay for it. I'm like, we already have a subscription to that. Yeah, but on this one, you still have to pay for that movie. And I'm like, good gracious. You know, and I, I look at these accesses, these levels of in uh, tiers of drawing you in, and it's all marketing, making money, and I get that. It's actually a pretty good scheme when you think of it. Uh, they've sucked America into it very quickly. Uh, but I think a lot of times what we see is Christianity a lot the same way. The, the day you accepted Christ as your Savior, you, you kind of got the base plan. You got your get out of hell free card, but that's all you got. But if you really want to have a deeper life and really get to know Jesus and really just really experience it all, you need the premier access. And then, I mean, and if you really, really, really want to get to know him even more than that, then you need the premier, premier access. And then finally, there's the super premier access. And that's for people who are like missionaries, you know. And they're just really high up there. And what I want to say to you this morning is that the day you accepted Christ as your Savior, you got all of Christ and you got all that you need in Christ. 
there's no premier access. Everybody has the same access. We have access to the finished work of Christ, and all the riches of Christ are wrapped up in him. Now, we'll visit that again as we walk through the day, but I want to say, first off, this morning, as a means of introduction, Christianity was never intended to be a spectator sport. The day you accepted Christ as your Savior, you joined the army of the Lord, you became a part of the battle, you became a part of the fight. Nobody here gets to sit on the sidelines and say, well, you know, I've accepted Christ as my Savior, but I'm not, really, I'm not really a part of this. No, no, we're all in the battle together. We're all striving together for the hope of the gospel. We're all laboring in one big army marching through time and eternity. And so nobody's a spectator in the work of Christianity. We're all on this team together. From the, from the youngest child in the room this morning, in our church building this morning, all the way up, every person, uh, the senior saint this morning, who's been walking with the Lord for 40 years, we're all in this battle. Nobody sits on the sidelines in this battle, or should not. Somebody said often churches like a football game. You go to the stadium and you see all these people in the stadium and what do you have? The sum of it is, is 22 men on the field desperately in need of arrest. And 20,000 people in the stands desperately in need of exercise. And often that describes what's happening in the church. A handful of people doing a lot of the work and the rest of the people kind of watching it. See, the call of the Christian faith is not come in, sit back, relax, enjoy yourself, but rather it is come in, sit up, pay attention, and engage. We have a work to do. We have a calling. And now that work doesn't look the same for everybody. Everybody here is not going to preach a sermon or Sunday morning or teach a class. But everybody ought to be engaged in somewhere of doing ministry. And you say, well, Pastor, who do I minister to? And that is the right question. Who? Who do you minister to? Not what do you do? Ministry has always been a who. It's always been about the person next to you. And you can look around you in this work of ministry and find a ministry when you find a person. There's a ministry right there. And I challenge us that it's not about a role as much as it is the goal. And the goal is to preach Jesus to one another, saved and unsaved, that Jesus would be heard in everything that we do. Now there's a church mentioned or another city mentioned in our text this morning. I want to visit it just briefly in verse uh, number one. He said, I have greatly struggled for you and those of Laodicea. Now, if you are a student of the Bible, you may know that Laodicea is mentioned in the book of Revelation as one of the seven churches. And actually, it is the last of the seven churches that are mentioned, and it is, uh, he says, I'm going to correct you, and in that correction, he said, I wish you were hot or you were cold, but you were lukewarm, and he said, I will spew you out of my mouth. And the idea is that this church was ineffective in what it was doing. They were, uh, they were very dead in their behavior. He said, you were rich and increased with goods, and you say, we have need of nothing. And he said, but reality, you were poor, and you were miserable, and you were blind. They thought they were all of that. And in a lot of ways, this is what they thought. They thought they had, by their wealth and by their achievement, have reached a level of premier access. And the reality is they never saw their own destitute condition without Christ. Now, we'll address them in the weeks to come as well. Laodicea was a city only 10 miles west of Colossae, and at the end of the book, as a matter of fact, he instructs Colossae to make sure that Laodicea gets a copy of this letter, and it's read there. And then also, he said, make sure you get the letter from Laodicea, and you read that letter. And so there's instructions going back and forth between these sister towns. But Paul opens his chapter 2 again with this word. 
I want you to know how great a struggle. He said, I want you to know what the struggle is. And this struggle, it's, it's almost like we can't get away from Paul talking about this struggle because he's laying it out in front of them and he's been talking about it for several weeks now in our text that we've been looking at. But again, he says this, I want you to know that I'm struggling. That seems almost counterintuitive to our Western way of thinking when it comes to leadership and those in charge. It's almost as if we say in today, well, no, the strong man, the strong woman shows no emotion. Don't, don't, don't show them. Don't let them see you blink. Don't let them see you flinch. Leaders show no fear. They must have the answer at a moment's notice, must have the vision and all the steps between here and the end of the vision. Someone said a long time ago, and I thought it was kind of a quippy statement, and I remembered it for probably 20, 25 years, but leadership is the ability to hide your panic. And I think that describes a lot of what we have going on. And I, I think that's probably a wrong way of thinking about leadership, that we never show our weakness, that we never show our transparency of where we're at, that we think somehow or another we have all the answers. Now, I don't, don't get me wrong, I don't, I don't think God's calling for Christian leaders to be chicken little either. I don't think we're to be running around going, oh my goodness, the sky's falling, what are we going to do? I have no idea. Let's just run and hide. Everybody put your head in the sand, you know? That's not what we're called to do either. And so there's a balance between this, I have all the answers, and I'm the solution to the problem, and then, oh, I have no idea what we should do, and let's run and hide. And there's a balance between this, and I think this should be a healthy awareness uh, and uh, an awareness of our own weakness and transparency with our own weakness, while simultaneously holding to an unwavering faith that the God, who is the author and finisher of our faith, will finish what he started. That we've been called into this work and he will not leave us. That he will be faithful to us to the end and we can hold on to that. And this morning, I never want uh, Shelby Bible Church to get the idea that somehow or another all the answers are found in the leadership of the church. Mike Montgomery is not the answer to Shelby Bible Church's uh, health issues or spiritual growth. Never has been, never will be. And there's never been a pastor that has stood in this pulpit who was the answer to the problem. It has always been what every pastor has pointed us to, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The answer is not our staff. The answer is not our organization. The answer is none of that. The answer is always will be the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's pointing to him of saying, we struggle we struggle in ministry. We struggle at times to know the answer, but I know the one who's leading the way, and I rest confident that he will not fail to lead the way. So Paul was express, expressing his struggle. This morning, I think we should struggle in ministry. I don't think Jesus said, you know, hey, you know, pick up your parasols and come picnic with me. He said, take up your cross and follow me. There was a call to struggle. There was a call to sacrifice. It's inherent in discipleship is that we would be willing to sacrifice and yea, even laid down our lives. And so I would ask you this morning, do we struggle for anyone in ministry? And we should struggle. Don't ever get the idea that we should be just, everything should be hunky-dory all the time and if struggle comes in, something's wrong. No, he said to the church at Laodicea, the problem with you is not that you're struggling too much. The problem is you don't see a need to struggle. You think you're sufficient in yourself. And he's calling them to something greater. Now we're still speaking of Paul's ministry here, specifically of Paul's and broadly of ministry as a whole. 
as he's coming into chapter two, he says, I want you to know this. He said, I want you to know your struggle. And I'll be honest with you, I've wrestled with that phrase probably more than any phrase so far in this section of the book. It's just saying, I want you to know. Now, this is not Paul begging for sympathy for himself, but I think he's trying to demonstrate an urgency of his ministry and add value to what he is struggling to purchase for them. That he wants them to see that what I'm laboring for matters to me. It matters to me and that's why I'm laboring for it. That's why I'm struggling to see this take place in your life. He says, I want you to see how great a struggle it is. This is Paul's gift to the church. The problem is is that his gift of struggling is shrouded in this church's instance by the cloak of distance and unfamiliarity. He said, we've never seen one another face to face. You've never seen me, I've never seen you. And he said, so I want you to know that I'm laboring for you, I'm struggling that you would be full of Christ and you would know the word of God fully and that you would be formed in him into maturity. He said, so I'm laboring on that end. And he said, I have this struggle for you. Not just for the church at Colossae, but the church at Laodicea and all the others. You see, his struggle was for others, not for personal gain. Now, this is the difference between the Gnostic idea of struggling. They were struggling, yes, they would even deny themselves physical pleasure, uh, food, and different things in order that they might get the premier access. Because they thought that's the way they got premier access. If I fast enough, then I'll be a real good Christian. And then I'll level up in my Christianity by doing this. And they thought that's how they got it. And so they were laboring to do that, but it was all about personal enlightenment. It was about personal uh, actualization. It wasn't about laboring to serve others. And Paul is saying, yes, I am struggling in prison, and I am laboring in prayer for you, but I'm doing so for you. I have everything I need in Christ. Paul was satisfied with Christ. He said, I've, I've learned that whatever state I am, therewith be content. I know how to increase and I know how to be without. And he said, I can labor and I'm content in that, but I am going to struggle that Christ would be formed in you. Now this humility that Paul is demonstrating here is not self-effacing, but it's vulnerable. He's laying down his own brokenness here and Jesus is the opposite of this as well, in, 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 of the Western mentality, rather, of how we want never let them see you blink kind of idea. Jesus stood at the tomb of Lazarus, and what did he do? He wept. When Jesus was walking in the garden, and he was walking in the garden uh, of Gethsemane, he went with his three inner disciples, and he put his arms around those men, and I picture that moment of him stopping him, saying, guys, I am exceedingly sorrowful, even unto death. He's heavy with the burden he's called to carry. And he said, would you watch with me for one hour? Would you watch and pray? And he's transparent with the struggle that he has going on. He's being vulnerable with them. He's acknowledging the struggle, but there was an unwavering commitment in the one who had led him to the struggle. And this is what Paul, I think, is demonstrating for us as well. He said, who have not seen me face to face. He said, you haven't seen me face to face, and so therefore there could be misunderstanding and resentment could easily arise, and you could feel uh, completely justified in your uh, vitriol toward me, but face to face, that would remove all that. And now you say, well, how do we understand that? How many have ever read a, had a text message sent to you? And then you're like, what do they mean taking that tone with me? 
And some of you are looking like, oh, I would never do that. Yeah, get off your high horse, all right? The fact is we read text and we imply voice inflection in the text. You know, your wife and you had a spat and I love you. And you don't read it, I love you, you're like, love you. Yeah, okay, that's all you're going to say, I love you. What? And we get bothered by it. And Paul is saying, hey, when we're not face-to-face, a lot can be lost in translation. And he said, so I want you to know that I'm struggling for you and that I care for you and I'm going to lay it all out in front of you so you know what's going on. Face-to-face removes much of that misconception. He said, I want you to understand that I have a great struggle because we've never met face-to-face and I know uh, that caricatures and false narratives can develop but I'm struggling to communicate the mystery and it is a grand thing and I don't want it to be misunderstood so let me sum up the mystery of the gospel. Let me sum up the mystery of all of God's wisdom into one word and here's that word, Christ. Christ. He puts it down into one statement that Christ is the summary of it all. Now what is the struggle that he's facing? On Thursday afternoons, or Thursday mornings rather early, we get together with a few of the men and the pastors and a couple other men and we sit down and we read through the text together. And we make commentary on the text and just, are we missing something here? And, and we were struggling through this and the question that kind of sat in the room for a while was, is this a physical struggle that Paul is describing or is it a mental struggle that he is talking about? Is it, is it struggle of emotion that he's having for them? Or is it a physical struggle? And we know obviously he's struggling physically as he's in prison. So I don't think you can separate that out completely. And I think there is an emotional tug going on in his soul. But I think in the, the sum of this, I think what Paul is describing is that he is struggling in prayer for them. I think he is pouring his heart out for them in prayer. For what other struggle could he have effectively at such a distance than to pray for those that he's, that he's ministering to and he's pouring his heart out over them in prayer? I think this because Paul in one nine of chapter, Colossians 1.9, he says, I'm not ceasing to pray for you. Since the day I heard about this, I've been praying for you. And then in chapter four, he commends Epaphras. Look what he says in chapter four in verse number 12. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you always struggling on your behalf in his prayers that you may stand mature and fully assured in the will of God. He said he's struggling in prayer that you would stand assured and mature in Christ. He's he's laboring in prayer for you. I think this is the nature of Paul's prayer for them is that he's pouring his heart to see Christ formed in them. What a testimony of a gospel minister that Epaphras has here is that he has struggled greatly for you in prayer. You know, I have found myself often in meetings face to face and it seems like there's a brick wall that you can't get through. But it's amazing to see what God can do through prayer that you can't do through logic, through preaching, through teaching. It seems like there's a wall there, but the prayers for people that go behind the scenes, you see, here's the reality. If the Spirit of God lives inside of you, I have an ally on the inside of you, and God can do a work that only he can do that I can't do. I mean, what, a, what an admonition to parents this morning that we would struggle in prayer for our children. 
that Christ would be formed in them, that they would be mature in Christ, that they would grow up to know him, that we would pour our souls out in the struggle for prayer. And I think this is what Paul is struggling for. As a matter of fact, in Romans 15, 30, he says to the church at Rome, he said, would you strive with me? And how does he want them to strive? Strive in prayer with me. If you can partner with me in any way, Paul is saying, strive with me in prayer. Jesus called for his disciples, watch with me one hour. Stay here with me, let's labor together in prayer. I think this is probably, and I can say this personally, the greatest struggle in ministry is struggling to maintain a consistent time of prayer. I didn't say that in a place of boasting. I say that for your prayer. That God would protect it, make it a priority in our life. How many remember the song we sang years ago, Sweet Hour of Prayer? Sweet Hour of Prayer. When's the last time we spent an hour in prayer? When's the last time that we quietly sat before God and did nothing but call on him and sought his face? Now let me say this, I don't think that you have to wait till you have an hour to pray. I think you can pray in the moment. You can pray when you have five minutes. You can pray when you have 55 minutes. And I think if we're not careful, we can find ourselves so wrapped up in looking for the moment to pray that we miss it. You know, I'm going to go rent War Room again and watch that. And, and after I watch War Room two times through and get my closet set up, then I'll pray. It, it's not always as picturesque as that. I have a lot of Bibles that are stained with, you know, some things because I fell asleep on my Bible praying. And the pages are messed up. It doesn't always work out as pretty as we think. But it's let's labor, let's strive to pray. Let's make it a struggle that we would not give up on struggling to pray. And put it in as a part of our, our life. And, and let me say this, it, it, is, it is taking the opportunity of praying for others, of pouring ourselves out on others. And, and here's the thing. This is all of us. We all struggle with prayer. If we're not careful, we let the enemy struggle to let us even see the point of praying. See, prayer is that place where we must depend upon God because we've done nothing. He does it all. We've prayed. And don't let us get into the place when you've done everything you can, then pray. Because until we've prayed, we've not done anything. See, I think, and Alistair Begg helped me with this. He said, Satan will not convince us not to pray at all. That's never his tactic. His tactic is never to say, hey, you need to stop praying. Prayer doesn't work. No, his tactic is not to get us to stop praying altogether, but just don't pray now. Just pray later. Just put it off a little while, and then you can pray. And let me, let me challenge this church to make the struggle for one another in prayer a reality of our daily walk, of our weekly walk. Now, the end result of Paul's struggle was not them knowing that he struggled. Paul wasn't trying to get accolades for struggling, but Paul's declaration of his struggle is adding emphasis to and importance to what he is delivering to them and what he desires to see happen. He wants to see them formed into Christ. He wants them to see them a fully assured Paul still has the whole church in view here, not just Colossae, but he's broadening his view to say, I want their, not your, hearts to be encouraged. 
And what is he desiring in the struggle? He said, I want your hearts to be encouraged. This word encouraged is parakaleo, or the idea is the same as the Holy Spirit being our comforter. He is one that comes alongside of. Now, when we think comfort in our day, we generally mean someone consoling someone who's hurting. But rather, this means to fill one with courage based upon a relationship. Based upon the relationship that we enjoy, we are encouraged to lock arms and to walk together with it. And as we labor together, we lock arms and we're encouraged. And here's what he says. He says, knit together in love. Woven together. And the word could be united, and that word is used in some of our translations. But the word here, knit, I like the word knit best. Because the idea here is you're taking the strands of many and you're weaving them together into almost like one garment that's undistinguishable individually, but it all becomes one. It's a fabric knit together and woven, and now there's strength and there's courage because being knit together. This was done through Christ, Jew and Gentile, bond free, man, women, all knit together inside this fabric that is the local assembly, and it's working out this, and now we can be encouraged, comforted to walk out this Christian life knit together as opposed to being torn apart by false teaching or sectarian levels of knowledge. Let me make something very clear this morning. There is no premier access at Shelby Bible Church. Everybody has access to Christ. Everybody has access the same way. There's no premier access inside the church as a whole. It is Christ and only Christ. He's the only message and always will be and always has been. He said, I want you to be united or knit together We've talked a few weeks before, they're saying that you can read your Bible and not grow, but you can't grow and not read your Bible. You can pray and never commune with God. You can go through the motions, but you can't commune with God without prayer. And, and I would say this this morning, I want to apply it a little broader this morning, you can be in a local church and not have community, but you can't have scriptural community and not be connected to the local church. There is a great benefit of being connected faithfully to a group of people who know you, who can pray for you, who you can pray with, that we can interweave ourselves together. And let me say this, you need a group of friends that aren't all like you. Some of you help us greatly with that because you're really different in a nice way. So I'm not looking at anybody in particular over here. Sorry, this side, you just kind of got that. So, so. The, the fact is we have people that are not like us. Now, man, thank God for family, right? But family has to put up with you because you were born into it. And generally in family arguments, nobody changes. Everybody just leaves the way they came. But the beauty of coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, we come from different backgrounds and we're connected and we labor together and we, we're, we're challenged in ways that family can't even challenge us. Because there's a whole different dynamic and the importance of that connection, it's knit together. This, I believe, is the body of Christ. We have scriptural community inside the body of Christ and this knit together, unless you think I'm stretching here to say this is talking about the local assembly, 
I do think he's talking about this in Colossians chapter number, uh, uh, verse number 19 of chapter uh, 2 as well, when he says, not holding fast the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with growth that is from God. I think he's talking clearly about the body of Christ. Now, we could argue, and I think rightly so, that there is a big C church, that God has a church that is spread across the world today that is marching through time and eternity and is accomplishing his purpose and will do so for his glory. But there is a local application of that that cannot be absent in the life of believers. Because if you just say, well, pastor, I don't need church. I'm just going to be a part of the big church. Then who are you praying with? Who are you bearing with? Who are you putting up with? And these are all one another commands in Scripture. You see, one of the benefits of church is that there are people here who will annoy you. That's a benefit of church. And and here's the thing. If you're going to a church that you're only comfortable at, you need to find some people who annoy you a little bit. Because they get under our skin and they show us where we're not conformed to the image of Christ. Some people who maybe are a little more zealous for Christ than I am can put me on my heels a little bit. Someone who know the scripture a little more I do may put me off a little bit. Some people who come and ask questions that I haven't thought about yet and they challenge me because they put me out there a little bit and they stir me and provoke me to love and good works. And I I challenge us that we would not miss this in the local application. You see, membership is a public statement that I stand where you stand. I'm going where you're going. I'm in love with who you're in love with. And I believe we should partner together to make this happen. That we are locking arms together for the glory of God. And I thank God for Pastor Caleb and the work he's doing with our Start Here classes. And basically going in and telling, our, telling people when they come to our church, here's what we believe, here's where we're going, here's where we've been, and here's how you can get plugged in and laying those things out. Because what we believe matters. And, and let me say this, what we teach in Start Here class is not everything there is to know. You can know more than that, you can believe more than that, but you can't believe less than that. If you believe less than that, then we can't partner together. Because when we talk about Christ, we're talking about Christ crucified, buried, risen, and coming again. And we have to be in agreement there. When we're talking about the word of God, we're talking about God's word preserved for us without error. And it's his inspired word. And we believe it to be the very word of God. And we have to stand together on that. And we walk that out. And we stand there firmly. He said, knit together Parts are brought together to make many one. This is the case in one body. So am I being knit together in Christ? So let me ask you these questions, maybe just a little test this morning. Whose burden are we carrying? In this room this morning, whose burden are you carrying? Who has come to you and said, would you hold me up in prayer for? And let me ask you, who's carrying your burdens? Well, have you gone to and said, would you pray with me? Now, I, I, I need to be reminded of this as well. I have the wonderful privilege of hearing many of your burdens, and you ask me to pray with you on those burdens, and I'm happy to do it. But there also needs to be this pastor saying, and could you help me carry this burden? I'm thanking God, and I could list several men who have been just so faithful to call me out for a cup of coffee and say, hey, can we pray together? And I lay burdens on them, and they pray with me. And I love when those men come back and say, and how is this going? 
And how is that happening? And hearing those burden bearers come alongside. So not only the burdens are we carrying, who, who, who has confessed their faults to you and to whom are you confessing your faults? Now these are one another's in scripture that we're called to do. Where are we being transparent with someone? Who have you spoken to scripture about? Has anyone spoken to you about scripture? Who have you prayed together? Who have you served together with? And man, what an opportunity. If nothing else, Vacation Bible School did, is it took a huge section of our church and gave us opportunity to serve together. Of just walking together. And I believe in that laboring together, we find opportunity to carry one another's burdens. What a joy it is. So who are we rejoicing with that's rejoicing? Who are we weeping with that's weeping? And how are we carrying those burdens? All the one another in Scripture can only be worked out in that local assembly. Now, not just in a formal gathering of a church gathering on a Sunday morning or in a growth group gathering. But, so it's not just in a formal gathering, but I do believe it is from a form, formal gathering. That we gather to connect and we, we go throughout the week with those connections, praying for one another, struggling together as we walk throughout the week. So joining is done not by us, but to us as we one another, God joins us together. He does so in love, the love of Christ to us and through us. This relationship points me to this assurance. It's the riches of the full assurance of understanding, the knowledge of God's mystery. The ground of our assurance cannot be our work or our emotions. It must be what God has done. This only comes from the word of God. You will not have assurance in what Christ has done apart from scripture. Reminded in our meeting on Thursday morning, someone pointed out the Bereans in Acts 17, how they searched the scripture to see if these things were so. And let me admonish you again, church, that you would bring your Bible to church and you would search the scriptures and see if these things are so. Because if the scripture says something different than what the man behind the pulpit is saying, the scripture is right and the man behind the pulpit is wrong. That we would search this and see if it is so. Time in God's word. So what is the summary of it all? What is he trying to communicate? What does he want them to have rooted down inside of their heart? Again, it is Christ. It is Christ. Notice again the word all in verse number three, and we conclude in verse three this morning. Verse number three, he said, in whom are hidden all the treasures, all of them. He doesn't want to leave this word alone because he doesn't want the Gnostics to have one little place to say, hey, you need a premier access. If you really want to get in, you got to pay an extra $5 a month, and then you get the upgrade into your account. No, he said it's all wrapped up in Christ. When you accepted Christ, you got all the wisdom and all the knowledge. It is all wrapped up in him. Paul is repeating the point again. He needs no more than Christ. We have no other message to preach. Paul seems to only have one gear. The only gear he runs in is the Jesus gear. It's just everywhere, Jesus, 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 and he preaches him over and over again. And let me just say, church, if we have any other gears, let's get rid of those and keep the Jesus gear. And keep preaching him at every turn. Al Mohler, several years ago, gave this quote, I love it. If all we need is enlightenment, then Buddha will do. If all we need is a collection of gods for every occasion and need and hope, Hinduism will do. 
If all we need is a tribal deity, any tribal deity will do. If all we need is a lawgiver, Moses will do. If all we need is a set of rules and a way of devotion, Muhammad or Joseph Smith will do. If all we need is inspiration and insight into the sovereign self, then Oprah will do. But if we need a savior, only Jesus will do. He's the only hope that we have. And we rest in that all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. And I love this term, hidden. Christ, they're hidden in him. We currently possess all the treasures. The more we know him, the more we uncover these treasures. Even if we have not unboxed all that is in him, and we have not, Christ is all we have and all we need. He is everything. You know, I, I, I carry one of these, as most all of us do, these cell phones, and they're a headache and a blessing. But I, I purchased this phone a little while ago, and, and when I purchased it, it became mine. It was, I have it all. It's possessed, right? But my daughter is really good about saying, Dad, why are you doing it that way? Don't you know you can do this? And there's like a thousand shortcuts. And I'm like, and, and I'm like I need to download an app for that. She goes, oh, you already have that. Your phone will do that on its own. And I'm like, how did I not know that? And then she's telling me, you do this and this, and, and there's so many things that are wrapped up to it. Now, here's the reality. I have not unpacked all the treasures of the iPhone, but I still possess it. This morning, we possess Christ. I am his and he is mine, but I haven't unpacked all the treasures yet. And as we walk through eternity, the Bible says that for eternity, we will unpack the riches of his grace and it'll be put on display for us all to see and we'll see that unfolded. And what is the growth in the Christian life? It is not growing away from Christ, but growing in love with Christ and putting our arms around him and learning who he is and that understanding everything that we need was given to us the day that we believed. He's given us everything. Peter tells us this. In 2 Peter 1.3, he said, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us into his own glory and excellence. All things that pertain to life and godliness are wrapped up in the knowledge of Christ. See, we don't need to look, out for Christ, look outside of Christ for any more. One illustration and we'll be done. Back in the late 1800s, a man from out west heard news of his family members sick in the east and wanted to go visit them before their last days ended on this earth. But being very poor and with not much resources, he wasn't going to be able to make the train trip back. The town heard about it and collected some money to purchase him a train ticket. And they gave it to him as a gift and he very humbly and reluctantly accepted and boarded that train with his meager belongings. Clearly out of his element, he was seated by the conductor, who conductor just so flippantly tore the ticket and handed it back to him and seated him. And he sat there on the train, and the first few hours went by as they rumbled down the track, and one of the people came by and delivered, bringing food, and they said, would you like a meal? And the gentleman across from him said, yes, I would. And he said, what would you like? And he told him. And he said, okay, I'll be right back. He said, sir, would you like a meal? And just embarrassed and caught off guard, said, no, there's no way I can afford that. No, no, I don't want anything. 
And the other man's food was brought to him, and it smelled so good. The guy was sitting over there eating, and he didn't have anything, but he had turned it down, and he thought, there's no way I could afford to buy another meal. The day went on, and afternoon became evening, and it was time for dinner to come around again. And the, the gentleman came by again. He said, sir, would you like something to eat? No, no, I, I'm good, I'm good. And he said, sir, would you like something? The other man across the way, yeah, I'll, I'll have it. Give me this, this, and this. And he ordered his food. They brought it to him and sat the plate down in front of him. And they began to eat. And finally, he was just, he was so hungry. He's like, man, I, all I have is just a couple apples. And he reached in and pulled a little apple out and was going to eat that for his dinner. And he thought, well, maybe, maybe I could get something. And he reached over to the man. He said, excuse me, sir, how much did the meals cost you? And he goes, oh, it comes with a ticket. I think a lot of Christians, we're running through life thinking we just got the entrance level. But all the wisdom and the love and the knowledge and the understanding all came with Christ. We're not paupers this morning. We have the treasures of eternity in Christ. It comes with a ticket. Let's put our arms around him this morning and let's look to Christ. Would you bow your heads with me this morning? Father, thank you for your word. Or thank you that it is sufficient to speak to my heart week in and week out as your word ministers to me. Holy Spirit of God, I pray that you would do a work in the hearts of these people here. Lord, I pray, Father, that you would allow our eyes to see, our ears to hear, our hearts to believe that Christ is all in all. Let's stand to our feet at this time and we'll sing together. There is a Redeemer, Jesus God's own Son, precious Lamb of God, Messiah. announcements, three of them, really quick. But I'm going to kind of connect them into the message a little bit, okay? So, we heard about struggle, right? 
Those are going to be a business meeting, August 8th at 6 p.m. These meetings are a struggle. They may be kind of boring, but they are essential. They tell us what the church is doing with the, with the money and everything that we got going on in our budget. So please, you can pick up a copy at the Welcome Center and then come next week, August 8th at 6 p.m. And we'll struggle together. Next, the leaders training meeting is Wednesday, August 25th at 6.30 p.m. Along with the training, the church will also provide dinner. So the leaders training meeting is for all ministry coordinators. That's the men's ministry, women's ministry, kids' ministry, student ministry, growth groups, bunch of ministries. All of the ministries got to come together. So we will be planning each ministry's budget and planning the 2021-2022 calendar. So please call the church offices and get yourselves signed up. Again, that's August the 25th at 6.30 p.m. Okay, now the, we have a men's connection event coming up. That's Saturday, August the 21st, 4 to 6 p.m. at the Hub Stadium in Auburn Hills. Now, this is the other part where I'm going to connect this with, with Pastor Mike's messages. So, I'm relatively still new here. I'm interning. I'm meeting a lot of you. And so, what Caleb has been doing is he takes me around, and he introduces me to everyone. And then when we're done, he's like, was that okay or was that weird? And I'm like, that was weird. But it's okay because it's always weird. Because when you first meet somebody, it's just a very weird thing. Kind of on the spot. You know what to say. You're just kind of looking at each other. But that's what these events are made for. So, when we go there... And we're throwing a football at some bowling pins, or we're having some pizza, then we can talk about something and we can begin to know each other. We can begin to understand each other's struggles. And then when we come the next Sunday after, it's not gonna be weird. We're like, oh yeah, I remember. See what I'm saying? It all connects. You get it? Okay. So I hope to see everyone there. Men, especially this is a men's event, so I hope to see all the men there. Again, Saturday, August 21st, 4 to 6 p.m. That's all I have. You guys are dismissed. Enjoy your day. God bless.